When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. Today, we're talking about 1987's Wall Street. It's directed by Oliver Stone, also written by Oliver Stone with an assist from his old writing pal, Stanley Weiser. Uh, of course, Oliver Stone has written and directed a ton of shit. He got, I think, uh, one of his starts was Conan the Barbarian. Is a writer on that. Yeah. No. Yep. Yep. He wrote Conan the fucking Barbarian. Wow. Uh, he's also done a lot of political thrillers since uh, Snowden, JFK, Nixon, all the big uh, ones. He he did that that war movie with Tom Cruise. Uh, uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Very Born on the Fourth of yeah. July. Yeah. Uh, Stanley also helped uh, Oliver. Uh, he wrote the 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 movie W about the uh, George W. Bush, and also helped Stone on Nixon and Any Given Sunday. This movie stars Michael Douglas. Uh, who was already famous from the China Syndrome and Romancing the Stone, uh, Fatal Attraction. We've seen him recently as Ant-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm sorry, Ant-Man's father-in-law? Hank Pym is the guy's name. Charlie Sheen, uh, who we've lately seen in Two and a Half Men, and then he like went crazy. Uh, but yeah. he'll always have a he's, soft he's, spot in my heart. So, somewhere out there, he's winning right now. Sure, he is. He is winning, uh, and uh, I'll always have a, a, a soft spot for him because of Hot Shots. Uh, of course, he was also yes. in Platoon. Also stars Daryl Hannah from Splash, Blade Runner, Steel Magnolias, uh, Kill Bill, Martin Sheen, the father of Charlie, uh, playing against type his 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 own son's father in this movie. <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, he's in the Great Apocalypse now. He was President Bartlett. I found he was he's Bartletting a lot in this movie. Actually, hmm. he he discovered the character of Josiah Bartlett doing uh, Martin uh, Charlie Sheen's dad in there. Uh, John C. McGinley, uh, also from Platoon, Point Break, The Rock. Uh, you've seen him in Office Space, the movie. Um, he does dramatic and, and funny work. Terrence Stamp. Scrubs, yeah, Scrubs. He's real, he's real, real, real cockbag and Scrubs, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Terrence Stamp uh, was in uh, Superman Two as General Zod. He also played Chancellor Valorum, who I have no confidence in, in the Star Wars prequels. Hal Holbrook, uh, famous old guy actor from the Firm and Men of Honor. Sean Young, <laughs> you've seen her as the original OG Chani from David Lynch's Dune. Also, a uh, very unfortunate character in Ace Ventura. James Spader, you've seen him in Secretary and Stargate, and Saul Rubinek, the evil collector from Star Trek The Next Generation, also has been in Unforgiven. Uh, just saw him in True Romance, and uh, lately, uh, last couple of years, I think it was three years ago, he was in The Ballard of Buster, Buster Scruggs, the Netflix Cohen um, oh, I, I cowboy that anthology. Out. Never did. It's worth it if you like westerns. I, I do like westerns. Uh, Jim, I have never seen Wall Street before. Uh, I knew it had a huge reputation. In fact, we've referenced it. Um, I've referenced it as like being the anti um, uh, wonderful life, uh, having never seen it just just by its reputation. Mm. Um, have you ever seen this movie before? And, and what did you think of it? Yeah, I've seen it once before. Uh, it had to be like 10 years ago at this point. 
and I remember liking it. Um, I was less familiar with Oliver Stone at the time, and I've since become much more acquainted with his work through these podcasts that we do and just watching more movies. Um, and this is an Oliver Stone ass movie. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Like it gets Oliver Stone has a way of getting very preachy um, and, and takes a very strong side on the topic. And this second time around, that's all I could see in this movie is the Oliver Stone-ness. I think there is a, there is a great performance in there for Michael Douglas, but he is such a caricature. Like half the people in this are characters. Um, that that are clearly like n- not quite straw men, but are definitely amplified in order to make the point that Oliver Stone wants to make. And that kind of brought the movie down a notch for me. I, I-, I wish it would have felt like these are actual characters I could believe exist. And I know people like this do exist, but I think they're fewer and farther between than the movie wants you to think. I... Uh, share a lot of the, my feelings with you, honestly. Um, this is the first time I've seen this movie. I don't know how it escaped me. And, you know, some things I'm like, how did I not see this? And like, you know, when I was going back and watching some of the great movies I'd missed in my life. Uh, but this is the one I don't know. Maybe it's like I just didn't really give a shit about economic stuff or whatever. But um, I missed this one. And my impression was that this was um, much more of like a flattering portrayal of Wall Street, that this is like an aspirational thing. Like you always, I've seen an isolation agreed as good speech. Right. And I always thought that that was played like straight up in the movie. Uh, you know, the movie, I don't think agrees with that worldview. And, and that's, that goes to Oliver Stone. Like you said, this is an Oliver Stone as fuck movie. And I, I thought that this was a Brian De Palma movie. And I'm like, this does not feel like a De Palma movie. <laughs> right. And like like 20 minutes into it, it bothered me enough. I paused and I look and I saw Oliver Stone. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Of yes. Course. The name checks right. of Nixon. The the <laughs> the uh, drive by shooting towards the gold standard. Sure. Oliver Stone has got a big heart and it's in the right place. But mm-hmm. holy shit, does this guy not concern himself with any kind of factually incorrect uh, critique? uh of of the world and 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 how we live and move through it um because yeah obviously this movie um does not hold up uh the gordon geckos of the world as something to be emulated but the other thing i've learned from you know covering many movies of this type is that wall street bros it's like the Italian mafia. I know you dude. would think that the mafia would hate things like Godfather and Scarface. Well, Scarface, not Italian mafia, but Goodfellas, things like that. But they fucking love it, even though they're portrayed yeah. as the bad guys, even though that they see like they they, 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 they portrays them as almost tragic, romantic figures. Yeah. And 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 also during a time, the movie where like everything's supposed to look good when it's all hookers and blow and making money and all that, like it's super fun. And then the ending is always kind of like this tragic romance of like, uh, you know, like uh, so, so some heroic thing. So like uh, it, it's interesting because I've always heard of Wall Street as kind of like, you know, this like from its greed is good. And like it's like uh, the, the money is the acquisition of money is the only thing that's important. And I don't think that movie is this ethos, but I also see why that's what people took away from it. It, it right. joins movies like Fight Club where tons of people watch it and get the opposite uh, uh, of opinion. They have the opposite takeaway than than what they're supposed to. Um, yeah. So like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, obviously, like <laughs> I, I don't know which is the better Wall Street movie. Probably Wolf of Wall Street. I think I was is the about better movie. But, 
And 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 they, they, I will say this that like that might be kind of like we talk about this in terms of Guy Ritchie films. Like, do you are you a Lockstock man or are you a Snatch man? And I feel like it's kind of like which movie did you see first? Because sure. I. I kept on comparing this to Wolf of Wall Street, too, and thinking, like, this is an older, flatter, less colorful version. And honestly, a little bit more subversive, because at the end, in this movie, Charlie Sheen pays a price and goes to jail and he's going to. But, like, Wolf of Wall Street shows the sham that that is that, like, yeah, yeah, Charlie Sheen might go to jail. He's going to he's going to spend six. You know, he he turns state's evidence on Gecko. So he's going to do six months of Club Fed. And he could come out of there and start his own, uh, you know, he couldn't, I guess. He'd have to write books or he'd have to do shit. But, like, Become a motivational speaker like Belfort, yeah. Yeah, like a much more naive Wolf of Wall Street. We're Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what? The system works and the bad, the, the, the only problem is that there's people that take advantage of the system and we can find those people and we can punish those people and then the system will work. Which maybe this is because that's that actually kind of shocked me from an Oliver Stone film uh, that, uh, it was that kind of idealistic and and kind of naive feeling because by the time he will make, uh, uh, JFK just a few years later, it's full democracy's a sham. We have to like, you know, our government just openly lies to us and makes a mockery of our institution. So like, it's an interesting kind of a transition piece for him. I felt like, yeah, Um, yeah, makes sense. But so the other thing is, uh, the filmmaking's interesting because there's a couple things I found him that the Oliver Stone was doing. Like when he's having confrontational dialogue, um, he had this technique where um, it was really noticeable when Charlie Sheen is fighting with his dad, Martin, in an elevator. And like the 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 camera is kind of like a spectator. It just yeah. it swings 45 degrees between the two. Like, oh, he said this. What are you going to? And it, it, it puts you in kind of like it, it, it gives you this vicarious feeling of being in the room, like feeling the discomfort and uh, of this confrontation and I thought that was really effective yeah I mean half these speeches the monologues that Kirk or Kirk Douglas Michael Douglas is giving here are just him talking to the audience just him saying like here's what's going on like uh, the the scene where he does greed is good right he's not talking to the shareholders he's talking to the audience Um, the, 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 the scenes where he's like talking to Charlie Sheen about you know the the schemes he's pulling and stuff like that's all for the audience. He, he's saying like, I'm an asshole. I'm a bad guy. And, and then there's no resolution to that, to that uh, speech. It's just like, he's laying out what a shit he is, um, mm-hmm. but he's talking to the audience. Yeah. Um, I, and in terms of filmmaking, I thought otherwise it was kind of a pedestrian film. And you mentioned the performance by Michael Douglas and it's, it is really good. Yeah. But other than Platoon, which Charlie Sheen did not super impress me in, like he felt like the hmm. straight man in, 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 in that movie. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a Charlie Sheen thing that I've really, really liked. And he felt like such a just blank slate on this film. Yeah. Um, I, I found myself really agreeing with Roger Ebert. He said that he, he found himself wishing that James Spader... Yep. Was playing the role of uh, Charlie Sheen and Charlie Sheen was playing James Fader because like Charlie Sheen felt like the guy who is like, oh, shucks, gee, I don't know if we're doing the where and 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 <laughs> James Spader, love him or hate him. He does ooze that kind of oily. I'm going to, you know, sell, sell my mother to you and send her to you. <laughs> COD, you know, like he's got that kind of like I could be seduced by 
Gordon Gecko energy kind of willingly. And totally. I, I agreed at that 100%. Um, yeah, so, I, I think Charlie Sheen is mediocre to bad in most of this movie. Um, or, or just miscast. He's like, he doesn't, ha- he, he doesn't show enough of the killer instinct, I thought. Even in the scenes it. where he's supposed to be like this killer and have this turn, he doesn't show enough of the regret over what he's doing uh, or or the torture he's going through. Like, there's nothing on his face in those scenes. It's just th- the situation in the movie is doing the heavy lifting. Charlie Sheen is just there. Which is wild because in real life, Charlie Sheen is, uh, by all accounts, a wild man who would be able to <laughs> get to this Wolf of Wall Street gear that I think the movie needed him to. Yeah, yeah. But he comes across more of like Tom Hanks and Big, uh-huh. like when the when like a sex worker shows up to his door and is like, "I'm gonna take you." He's kind of like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm old enough for these type of games, ma'am." Like it's, uh, he, he does feel like a, a a little boy in this movie, and I think we needed somebody like more of a Leonardo DiCaprio or a James Spader that's that's got that hunger and yeah and they, there's a little bit in Wolf of Wall Street like there is that uh, scene with McConaughey the <laughs> the the drum beating chest uh, um scene where like Leo needed to be brought on a little bit uh-huh. like maybe he was a little bit but like once once he saw behind the curtain he's like fuck yeah this is amazing I'm never going back and anyone is a sucker whereas like I, honestly, like it, it, it took me a while to catch on to what was going on in the the the, the main plot of the movie when you get to the their dealings with the airline, mm-hmm. because like I I I honestly was shocked that Charlie Sheen was going into this thinking that his dad was going to be okay. Yeah. Like what? Like oh, I thought I thought I was supposed to understand that he's really snowing his dad and taking advantage of him. But he's feeling betrayed in this scene. Oh, shit. I have to. So like, yeah, I thought that Sheen was disappointing in this. Uh, Yeah, I totally did uh, as well. I, I, I don't know about you. I am totally, completely immune to the charms of Daryl Hannah. If there are, in fact, any same. Are, OK, <laughs> OK. I'm not alone in that. I think she's I've good always, in Blade Runner, I'm, but that's such a weird character. She's a robot. That, like, you don't need anything from her, but but what she's the a killer sex robot. That's what she was right. put on this planet to be. Uh, she's 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 great in Kill Bill. I don't I don't remember her very much in Kill she's Bill. She's the one eyed nurse, uh, you know, uh, plucked eye. You know, tried the. Uh, I, yeah. I do remember that she's in it, but I don't remember much of Kill Bill. Honestly, it, it's been huh. a while. All right. Um, yeah, just Daryl Hannah doesn't do it for me. Her performance, her. Uh, whatever sexuality she exudes does not work on me at all. Yep. I, she's like in the Gwyneth Paltrow spectrum where it's like, I recognize she's a stunningly attractive woman, but like Is her she, whole I affect, even, I don't know. I don't even recognize no, I mean, that. I, look, I'm Some not, gonna, I'm not, I'm so, not so, so far into the hater zone that I'm going to say Gwyneth Paltrow is an ugly woman. No, or, no, not I'm Gwyneth. just like, sure. it, 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 but like Daryl, like, you know, I think she's attractive. I've seen her in splash. She's certainly, but it's like, yeah, like whatever she, she's like the anti Carrie coon where it's like, the parts are all there, but like nothing. It's it's, it's everything's less than the sum of its parts. Where mm-hmm. you know Carrie Coon is like I think conventionally attractive, but also there's a little bit of a sparkle there that uh, you know kind of elevates everything she does. Totally uh, a charisma, a charisma. Yeah. I don't think Daryl Hannah is a very charismatic actor. I and agree. when you got her and Charlie Sheen trying to generate heat, <laughs> and Charlie work, Sheen has man. zero charisma in this film either. Uh huh. Um. 
In fact, a lot of his like I, rec- I realized a lot of his performances, like the costuming and makeup, like they tell a story yeah. of his moral depravity by how slick, like how <laughs> cl- how much is his hair slicked back? It's like uh-huh. uh, I think you should leave skit. You know, it's like, oh, I got that hair slicking back real nice. You can tell he's a huge piece of shit now. Babies are crying when they're like, yeah, like it's as his lapels get wider and his hair slicked Mm -hmm. back. He's and then then when he then when he goes against Gordon, guess what? He's got the Jake, you know, the J crew haircut back and it's no longer slicked. He's got a part and he's blow drying it. And like it's like. Come on. In the movie, this I is think a it's... suit. And, this is a suit and hair gel doing the performance. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> in the movie, that it 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 works on like a, a subliminal thematic way because right, he's turning into Gordon Gecko, right? Who has all yeah. these nice suits and has his hair slicked back and everything. So that's what they're going for. But yeah, it's hilarious to put it that way. Like the acting is being done by the suit and the hair. Yeah, and, um... and Martin Sheen is great. I thought. Uh, Martin Sheen really impressed me in this movie. I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff. I haven't seen West Wing, so... Oh, I watched a lot of West Wing growing up. Like, that's kind of the biggest thing he's known for uh, that people yeah. of my generation would know him in, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I like I said, that. honestly, you this is President Bartlett. He, like, gotcha. that, like, him given his like, you know, serious, sober, fatherly look and delivering moral, righteous directly into the camera in opposition to like greed and like you know uh, un-American bullshit like that that is what he served up on the West Wing I I feel like that this was his you know now that I've seen this movie it's like oh god this was his acting demo reel for the job because he is essentially blue collar Bartlett in this movie yeah um should we what what else do we want to talk about in generalities before we kind of drill down and talk about the plot of this movie do you have anything more that you'd like to? I don't to, to dish. Think so. All right. Do you want to like do take a break and then transition into the? Yeah, let's do that. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into uh, a, 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 a an overview of the movie and then talk some spoilers right at, when we get back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back. I guess if you, like me, have not seen uh, Wall Street low these many years, uh, it is about a young stock trader. His name is Buddy. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's a stock broker, which I think is crucial because he manages other people's money. 
And and he's kind of like he's literally Leonardo DiCaprio from Wolf of Wall Street. He's calling up widowers, pensioners. He's trying to talk him into penny stocks and, you know, trying to make quick bucks. And it's not about the it's not about building relationships, it's about it's about relieving people of their money. Uh, and putting it in his pocket and he is hungry and he keeps on hearing this legendary figure, Gordon Gecko, Gordon Gecko. And we join him on day 40 of his nonstop calling this guy to get his attention, to try to get into his deep, deep whale pockets. Mm-hmm. And he's able to use a piece of information that is blue collar dad that works as I think a mechanic at a, at a, a small regional failing airline uses a, a little bit of inside information to give him a big fat tip, which gets uh, Gordon Gordon's gecko uh, changing colors and his eyeballs looking in all different directions and excited. And he's brought into his inner circle where he's taught about the, the, the lessons of, of greed and uh, a moral uh, acquisition of wealth and uh, dick measuring contests between millionaire and billionaires. And uh, it's it's a it's a morality play where is he going to be the kid that his dad raised him to be believing in hard work and building value over time and do, t- not taking shortcuts and uh, or is he going to go the Gordon Gecko way where it's all about fuck building value Let's just exploit and take value that other people have already built. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what the that's the that's the main tension is. Is he going to mm-hmm. uh, kind of be true to his his upbringing and his roots? And there's a couple. I guess we can start there. It's going to be spoilers from here on out through for the movie. But like there was something I thought interesting where all of these guys kind of came. The ones that we know, like. Uh, the Gordon Geckos, the Buddies, uh, the Martin Sheens have come from this blue collar, came from nothing, and they are they have for various reasons because their parents worked hard and got them in the right schools, or because they hustled and went through the community college. They've been they've they forced their way through these these golden doors into the big the the money of you know into the world of uh, big stock stock market trading and whatnot. Um, and I kind of thought that was interesting because it's very clear to me that Gordon Gecko, um, it, it reminded me a lot of Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood. You know, I talked about this a lot. It's like one of my big re- real realizations of watching that movie is Daniel Plainview is a man who fell down a, a, a mine and broke his back. Um, and 99 times out of 100 dies at the bottom of that. Uh, at, at the bottom of that mine, but instead he's able to claw himself back and and drag himself to the nearest town and recover. And he thinks that he is uniquely superhuman because of that. He is not the one version out of a thousand that survived. He is like, oh, ninety nine hundred times out of a thousand, I would have would would have would have would have through my grit and determination and intelligence been able to get myself out of that. And I yeah. feel, feel like Gordon has the same way. It's like. I swam through the sharks and I didn't get eaten. And now I am a shark. And it's, 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 and, and, and if I had played, replayed the game a hundred times, I would have won out of 99 where that's just not simply true. And I feel like sometimes people that came from nothing and have gone through the American dream and didn't get everything have an even more warped view of what the world is really like than like a person that was born rich Right. Or a person that's like born poor and stays that way. Because you think everybody could just follow your pattern and be as successful as you were. 
Yes, like almost every upper middle class business owner, small business owner is in that category where it's like, ah, yeah, I fucking read all the books and did everything right and built all the relationships. And it's just like, nah, man, you get you it's got. The- yeah, you did all that, but you also got extraordinarily lucky. Exactly. That That's the thing. Whenever I look back at our journey here as business owners, I'm like, holy shit, how lucky did we get if we didn't do these things at the exact right time through no no foreknowledge or, or impressive analytical skills or anything. We just like got totally lucky. And I appreciate that. Whereas yeah, pe- people like this don't, don't see the one in a million chance, you know, the, or, or they probably say like, yeah, the thing that happened to me, I think Charlie Sheen kind of articulates this in the movie is like, there are a few moments. Well, well, it's actually the opposite sentiment there there are a few moments that make somebody's life and this is one of them right and he walks into gordon gecko's office and he would probably say he got there through perseverance not through luck through you know just like how how does he know that these got this guy likes these cigars and it's his birthday and all this stuff it's like he probably happened into that information um somewhere along the way somebody told him something about this guy that he now can use and that was lucky, but he doesn't see it that yeah. way. And it's funny because like um, I, I, it's the, these myths of people coming from nothing and through hard work and grit and determination uh, succeed. These work because if you interview someone that has gone through that journey, that is that is the you know, like very few times will someone come from no one be like, you know what? I was just lazy and I played video games every day. <laughs> and of course. I woke up one day and someone gave me a million dollars and I turned it into 10. No, they're always like. Well, now we have a lot of Bitcoin millionaires that could probably well, have that Twitch, story. Right? Yeah, people <laughs> that literally have played. Video I sat games on my ass. Hours. I bought five five thousand Bitcoin when they were a dollar each. Yeah, because I got an inheritance from my grandma, and here I am with that's this forty why, million dollars. The, the, the herald of the end of civilization. Right. But like, <laughs> right. but up into this, like, if you if you talk to any uh, Super Bowl level athlete, any uh, a gold medal winner of an Olympics, they will always say like, oh, yeah, it's like I worked my ass off and I trained every day and I got up at five o'clock in the morning and I did this and that and I went to the right schools and I worked. But like what needs to happen is you need to interview like a thousand kids that had the exact same shot at being a multi-million dollar yeah. basketball player, football player, and the ones that cratered and didn't make it. And they would also, their tales would be full of like, you know, I worked really hard and I did, yeah. but I blew out my knee in college or yeah. I, you know, or I had or to I drop wasn't out. tall enough. Like, it, or, yeah. Or, and in, in the business yeah. world, it's like, I, uh, you know, uh, I, I had to drop out of whatever because my parent got sick yep. or I got sick or, you know, uh, I, I, I went through something, something that gave me crippling depression for two or three years and I had to recover from like it. it that, that, that's the thing about these. And, and I don't know how I don't know how you can get I don't know how you I don't know how you fight that, because, like I said, every time you look at a success story, the basics are going to be the same. It just everyone pretends like, oh, well, then that's, you know, um, I guess I was red pilled on this by going into big business types and going like conferences and stuff where it's like, Oh, let's learn about how Fred Smith ran FedEx and let's learn how the Walton family did Walmart. And it turns out that you can be a successful company if you just call your employees associates. And like, there's all these kind of like, it's like all this like fairy pixie dust 
Uh, and it's always the same story of yeah. hard work and determination and like this one little insight you had where it's like, nah, like, you know, you, there, there's, a, there's, there's, like I said, like a lot of all this luck and, and timing is a big thing. And, um, and the other thing is uh, just a bunch of illegal shit happening usually. Like, right. Um, you know, Microsoft took off on the back of a lot of just intellectual property theft. Sure. I mean, they and got then, busted up for their business dealings. Or, or Sure. Like they got literally sued, like, you know, a big high profile suit for monopoly practices. Um, and yeah. it's like that. Like if you look at like what Amazon's doing now, where it's like, you know, they're like this got this ever growing stock and they're owned by the richest man in the world. But they're, you know, um uh, their employees are passing out in warehouses. They're overheated. Uh, they're dying in tornado attacks. They're p- pissing in bottles because they don't have time to run down the factory floor to take a bathroom in the 30 second break they're allowed. Like you've got mm-hmm. this same kind of thing j- that, that, that's happening right now. And I don't know how you push back against it because the narrative will always be airtight. And there's no way to survey the other thousand people that didn't make it to find that they worked just as hard and they were just as dedicated and they kept on getting kicked in the teeth, kicked the teeth until they gave up. Um, Yeah. And I mean, one of the, you know, big takeaways from this movie is like this concept of greed and, and where, when is enough enough? Um, Yes. And I think there is a fairly interesting argument to be had, though I'm not sure how uh, effectively the movie makes the argument on both sides about greed being necessary or or not greed per se, um, but pushing things in a direction that maybe doesn't benefit everyone uh, all the time because they make the argument, Daryl Hannah in this movie makes the argument that you hear a thousand times a day um, when you're talking about greed um, and you're talking about like why people do unethical or immoral things. And it's that idea of, hey, if I don't do this, someone else is going to. So why not do it? Um, yes. why, not, why shouldn't I get the benefit in some, instead of somebody else who will surely do it in my place? And, and I think that's a bullshit argument. It's a complete bullshit argument because if nobody thought that way, no one would do those things. However, the other side of that argument is history has shown us that there is always someone who will do those things. Mm-hmm. And if you are not in turn fighting back against that by doing similarly unethical things that propel you forward at the same rate that someone who is just as unethical or maybe even more so is propelled forward, they will win. And that's a bad scenario. Like if you look at this globally, like government, um, you have to worry about unscrupulous governments doing terrible things to people and getting extreme power because of it. Yeah. And in order to fight that, you may have to, in fact, do some things that are less than uh, ethical or less than moral. Um, and and that's an argument to be had, right? I'm not saying it's an absolute that you have to do those things. But there are some cases in which the greater good is serviced by doing, by pushing things in a certain direction that might be seen as either greedy or or just like why are we doing this none of us need to do this and it's painful for a lot of people what's the point 
Yeah, that scene that you're referring to where he, uh, after he has enough, uh, Buddy goes and confronts Gordon Gecko when he finds out, oh, you're going to f- you're you're going to fuck me and my dad out of our hard end pensions. Um, right. And he says, you know, where does it all in? How much is a, a, is enough? And Gordon does like, oh, it's a zero sum game and someone's got to win. Someone's got to lose. And if I don't do it, yeah, it's like all you said. And like. It's. I don't know how you fight that because there's a couple things like, number one, we live in a society where there's some people don't have any money and they're starving and they're homeless and they're dying in the streets. And then you got other people at the other end. They're using money like the high score in a video game, like, you know, which who's got the the top three initials on the cabinet yeah. and joust at your local arcade. And if you suggest that we take, hey, some money from the second group of people and just give it to the first, you're dismissed as a fucking commie. Uh, but I don't understand why, because the game is the same. Let yes, them compete like, no just matter. with smaller numbers. Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I, that's, that's something I tried to like argue in like the the three right turn side of things. Is like how can we set up a you know? Isn't there a way to like make this competition and we just like take you know like like some kind of like ever scaling amount from the some segments of society right. and just kind of funnel it? Because that's the thing is like if you look at like what I understand is expert economics and census is. Broadly speaking, greed is good. Uh, manipulating people's self-interest to act in ways to improve their life is a sure bet because most, you know, healthy, uh, mentally stable individuals are going to do things in their best interest. They're going to behave as rational actors. That's a sure. big term in economics. and They're going to make correct decisions. And who's to say what's correct and what's not? Well, it's the market. You know, if you make the right decisions right. and you, you cater to your customers and and you innovate and you do that stuff, you'll make money. And if you don't, you don't. The problem because that all makes so much sense. Uh, the problem is twofold. Uh, it doesn't really work for things where people, the, the, the demand is 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 infinite. Like, uh, do you want to live tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yes. How much money will you pay to live tomorrow? As much all as you got. Yep. Every day. Every fucking day you'll do that, right? Sure. Um, so when it ter- comes time to like things like food and clothing and housing and, 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 and health care, it seems like there has to be some kind of like cap put on that market or you have barbarism the other problem is companies are not necessarily rewarded for innovation and customer service although certainly Mm -hmm. they are the problem is other companies can find out like oh this company has done so well and has innovated so much and has so much brand recognition and so many fat pensions because they've treated their employees so well which contributes to their culture of excellence we can just acquire this company and sell that shit off for parts because like it, it, it what's even better than generating your own value and profiting off that is just taking someone other's valuable shit and then selling yeah. it for pennies on the dollar. That arbitrage uh, concept. And you get quit. You, you, you get a quick buck and then you dump it. Um, and I don't, that is the real problem that I don't know like how you solve because uh, as long as, you know, people that run companies have a fiduciary responsibility to make shareholders money above any other consideration. Yeah. Uh, you're always going to be incentivized to just plunder other value and then and then sell it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I don't know how we uh, that's something I've spent a lot of time the last few years trying to think is like, well, how do you tweak the system to where it will work long term? 
you know, I can think of a couple like, you know, uh, like universal basic uh, incomes, the offset losses to automation and like, you know, uh, ever increasing efficiency in society leading to productivity gains. You could, you know, do like the European model where you just limit the amount of hours people work. So like, you know, uh, you, a full time job is now 24 hours a week and you bust all this other and you spread it out to everybody. You can, you know, give uh, take money off the top and plunge it in, and plunge it, uh, put it in the, the social services and safety nets and stuff. Stuff. But the core problem, which is it's better to just acquire other people's hard work and sell it off for cheap. That's yeah. always the best use of an investor's money. Oh, of course. I don't know yeah. how you I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you fix that because it doesn't take time or energy, which are in a finite supply. It takes money, which you could conceivably have as much as possible of um and it's, it's distressing because like this movie knows that at its very heart you see this character who like you know like at the beginning he's like you know i'm just a poor boy i came from nothing and i'm making money and you know everybody like like that greed is good is what we're taught in school <laughs> for sure yeah like this is how this is why our economy works but it's also like you watch that character then say like you know what i can make a lot of money by fixing this airport this 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 airline so that it starts making money and it provides value again all the pieces are there it just needs a little bit of tweaking but then he realizes oh i can make twice as much just by ripping it apart and yeah. selling the old jets to some shitty uh airline in mexico that doesn't have the same safety standards and like these uh, my other buddies who are in the bigger airlines are chomping at the bit to get access to these routes that are locked up and oh my god there's like a hundred million dollars in these guys pension funds right we can just when when we sign a new document, what we'll does rip that like that? This is everything that's happened wrong. This is this is a this is like a two hour version of like season two of The Wire, where it's like this is everything that's happened wrong in the last forty years, and and we're here, and we're still having the exact same arguments, as far as I can tell. That we're in nineteen eighty five is paying more attention to Jabba the Hutt and and, <laughs> sure, and yeah. Transformers and stuff. I, well, I, don't I mean, not know. only are we having the same arguments, it's just gotten worse. Like if you look at the figures they're giving, like the top 1% own 50% of the wealth. You look at that number now, and, and I did, I looked it up. It's 16 times what yeah. the bottom 50% have. 16 times. It's yeah, gotten 16 it's, times worse in the last 30 years. 40 and it's years. gotten like exponentially worse in the last two years of pandemic because. Right, um, right. Yeah, and for a lot of complicated reasons. So I mean, that five trillion dollar number that he throws out is a joke at this point. Like Apple's yeah. worth almost that by themselves, <laughs> you know. But it's it's just it was stunning to me that this guy in 1985, I guess the movie is set in 85, made in 1987, is like giving all these talking points, which is like, That's oh, you know, America, America, like in 1985, he's sitting there. America's in a is a power is a power in decline. Look at our right. out of control national debt, something that doesn't really matter for a bunch of look at our the fact that we've that like and and we're flat and, and look at these guys who have mismanaged this company and they don't care about you. They. And like that is the line that has led us all down to like none of us have pensions now. Like, That's the thing. Like he lays out um, a potential solution. I don't. I don't know if it totally works, but certainly like getting the people who run the company invested in the company is a good idea. Uh, yeah. And, and he lays it out like these people only have a three percent interest in the company or whatever. Uh, uh-huh. I, I'm going to buy the whole thing, or or you know a, the controlling interest. He lays it out, only he's lying to them about what he's eventually going to do with it, right? He's not there to be invested in the company, um, you know, as a 
as an owner, as someone who cares about the people involved, he's an investor insofar as he can rip it apart and make more money out of it. Yeah. And that was like such a great uh, scene. Uh, again, I didn't think it worked because like I, well, I was shocked to find that Charlie Sheen was in fact not on the same page of this. But like when they're in the big board meeting and Charlie Sheen's supposed to be the CEO and the lawyers and the bankers are worried about getting their pay. Like, you know, you got to guarantee that we're going to get this loan repaid within 12 months if things go bad. And are you ready to liquidate? Are you can you guarantee that you'll liquidate Blue Star? And Charlie Sheen's like do what now? And the guy's like, yeah. guarantee it. Hell, we've already carved it up six ways. We've done this and that. Like, it's exactly what Martin Sheen just said in the elevator five minutes ago. That like, this is exactly what your guy is going to do. He's a scorpion. You're a frog. You're going to get halfway through the river. And Charlie Sheen's like, dad, you just didn't go out and take your shot. You're just jealous. that I was able to go out there and conquer mine. And you've had to fight. And, uh, yeah, the but I don't know really how heavy handed with that stuff. Like there, there are so many scenes where he like goes into whatever brokerage he was working at before working with Gecko. And he's like, oh, this is yeah. the best day of my life. I've got I'm bulletproof. And I don't know if he actually thinks he's bulletproof because he's on Gecko's coattails or yeah. if he's just getting overly cocky here very quickly. But everybody's telling him, like, it always works till it doesn't. Right. Or like you know the, the, it only takes one bad trade and he's just totally ignoring all those signs well and that's the other thing is like it's even worse than the the characters think it is because like charlie sheen when he's pitching this deal to gecko is saying stuff like hey look <laughs> the the largest cost of this company is its employees they're spending like mm-hmm. 800 uh thousand 800 million dollars a year on it i can I can push that down to 400 million. No problem. Right. Where, where is that? Like, where is that going to come from? It comes from their uh, pockets. Charlie. Yeah. yeah like, where's that? It's going to, it's going to fuck your dad. It, so it's exactly. Like he, it didn't he, make he, sense. He, he, he was going to fuck his dad. Uh-huh. And he was just going to use lube. Right. And <laughs> Gecko is just going to dispense with that because that's bottom line that he can save on. You and know what and I mean? then when he actually presents the, the thing to the, the deal to the union people. Yeah. I, he says, all I'm asking for here is a modest 20% pay cut across the board and seven more hours a month. And I'm like, I, you, the, the joke here is that you use the word modest to describe a 20% yes. pay cut. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Where's your. And the thing is, is like all the unions. Would you give up 20% of this. your money, dude? Would you well, call that modest? And you've studied the history of this in the 70s and 80s. A lot of these unions went along with this willingly because they were like. You know, yeah, we don't like the 15, 20 percent pay cut. But like if we don't do this, we're going to be outcompeted by, you know, labor from Mexico and China and cheaper goods, this and cheaper goods, that and lower stand. And like, you know, like I, we don't want to take the pay cut. But what we really don't want to do is lose our fucking jobs. Mm-hmm. And then they go make these Faustian deals and they keep their jobs for three more years, lose their pensions, lose their retirement, lose everything and end up losing their jobs because all that stuff gets replaced anyway. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, when when Martin came in and he goes, um, there came into Egypt a pharaoh who did not know. He's referencing stuff in Genesis and Exodus where it's like Israelites, you know, this is all Bible mythology. But, like, the story goes, the Israelites uh, originally came to Egypt as their saviors. This man named Joseph, uh, who was, a, a, you know, uh, the, the the son of, uh, of Israel, uh, like moves his family there and saves because of his uh, stewardship saves the entire kingdom of Egypt from a famine. And 
there came into eventually uh, several generations pass and all the pharaohs forgot the tight relationship they had with the Israelites and they ended up enslaving them because they were fearful. Like it's like this kind of thing is like, well, all right, these people in the room are cool and they won't fuck us. But what happens to the next CEO? And what's ironic yeah. about that is like, no, the people in the room are going to fuck you. It's yeah. not going to be the, the pharaoh that didn't know. It's going to be the pharaoh who knows and doesn't care because he wants a bigger pyramid. And that's it. Yeah. It's not it's not because his family is starving. It's not because he needs money to buy medicine to save his firstborn child from the angel of death. He just wants a bigger pyramid. Why does he want a bigger pyramid? Because the next great power over built a bigger pyramid and he's got to keep up. How many how many yachts do you need to jet ski behind Gordon Gecko? It's one of the things he asks. And there's no because, again, it's it's not. uh, Greed is good when it's 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 um, you're you're essentially coercing people to work uh, so that they can eat and live. But like a certain point, greed becomes like this arbitrary abstract number. And that's where it all falls down. Um, And I don't know how to solve because like, yeah, (sighs) no, it's uh it's weird, especially with modern technology. I feel like the idea, the very idea that greed is good is outmoded. Um, like I, I'm pretty much in the anti-work crowd. I don't think we should be working for the sake of working. Yeah. Working. I don't even think we need to be working for the sake of living anymore. Um, we have so much, so much bounty from our high technology society. Um, that very few of us, in fact, need to work to live. Um, and the idea that you should somehow be forced to work simply because that's the way we've had to do it for thousands of years, for millions of years, yeah. is outmoded. It's just silly at this point. Um, we're we're so in this I'm weird transition where, like, increasingly, I think that's going to be especially, like, you know, if we, if we have uh, um, general purpose AI widespread automation and like fusion technology like you know if that all happens in the next 100 200 years we probably will be in a post-scarcity post-work society but the the devil's in the details of getting there because as those things increase Mm -hmm. people who are still wanting to make money look at the now suddenly irrelevant people and be like why are we feeding and clothes like these these are just these are just drains to our bottom line uh-huh. And there, like, there's like, you know, I've I've said this before. It's like we've got a Star Trek utopia or a Mad Max hellhole, um, where you know most I, people are mm. miserable, and you've got the Jeff Bezos wearing plastic body armor with shock white hair, saying, "Don't don't get addicted to water because you'll resent its absence above us all." You know, living on sure. a mesa above us all, like pissing on, it. like those are the two. And 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 I, I feel like unless we start adjusting people's attitudes right now that we will like, well, you got to work if you want to eat us ourselves into the grave. Um, And and it's such a weird thing, right? Because like you would think this movie would be contributing to that, to, to weaning people off that attitude. But in fact, you see in a lot of people, it's the exact opposite. Like you mentioned earlier on in this podcast, there are people who idolize Gordon Gecko, who think that Gordon Gecko is someone, something to be attained uh, status to be attained. Like, that to me is just a fundamental uh, mental illness that people have. If you can look at this and say that Gordon Gecko is not the villain, but is in fact the hero, I think yeah. you have a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, it's because like you know, I always I've I've compared these two movies again without seeing it, so it's dangerous, and I've I've finally exploded myself. Um, between a Wonderful Life, where like I don't think anyone watches that movie and thinks that Potter is the hero. 
because he's miserly and he's bitter and he's pinched and he's ugly and he's fat and he dresses like a fuddy-duddy and he talks funny and he's weird. Like if Potter were young and hot and fit and fucking women 10 at a time behind a mountain of blow, maybe in the the post-World War II economy, people are like, you know what? Potterville's kind of hot. Fuck these immigrants. Like, yeah, they just think they can be part of that tribe. And it's because this movie is a lot more like a wonderful life than I suspected in that Gordon Gecko is unambiguously the hero. And you've got a man who has flirted with like, you know, shirking his responsibilities to family and community and 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 decides to do the right thing and do all that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I feels like that we're really fucked on is we've got a society that like. I, th- there's a scene where Charlie Sheen is, is being led away in tears and cuffs and everyone's cluck, 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 you know, and I'm like, oh, man, yeah. whoo, this guy, whew, he could be in some real trouble if he'd sold a dime bag of weed uh-huh. as it is. He's going to get off with a slap on the wrist. And, you know, like I, I think there's this weird arbitrary division between white collar crime and and regular crime. Like, if you sell drugs, you're a bad person, needs to be locked away for 25 to life. But if you destroyed 100,000 people's retirements, eh, couple, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe a couple years in, in the minimum security penitentiary with your other friends, and you get out and you'll have speaking opportunities, you have a bright career in politics. Like, there's no, there's no fall so far that you can't redeem yourself as long as you keep it to this type of crime. And right, it right. seems obvious to me that this is because the people that have money have essentially set up a system to where their crimes are not seen as important and as devastating society, even though like, look, I, I get it. If you murder someone, that sucks and you shouldn't, you know, you need to be taken off the streets or reformed or something. Yeah. But, but like it doesn't corrode society. Right. There's like no this, impact to society from that. But everyone sees and zero. everyone is seen as wrong that people are punished. But uh-huh. like you take a hundred thousand people's retirements away, you have a whole generation of people that thought that thought that they were going to be fine and now they're not, and now they're being Walmart greeters until they're eighty years old and eating cat food. Yeah. That corrodes society. And yeah. we're forty we're forty years down a path where we're just guzzling acid, sulfuric acid, and we're wondering why we're rotten from the inside. Right. So like in my in my world like in 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 in, a, in my just world you the same like if you kill somebody you could get you know ten years to life or whatever but if you take a hundred thousand people uh, not only do you lose all your money uh, and and your family is plunged into poverty we should have safety nets so that shouldn't you know they shouldn't die they should uh-huh. just be you know poor they shouldn't have like you know mansions and shit and you go away for like twenty years. Oh, t- uh, yeah. 20 seems uh, too low. I, I think you're taken off the board, like not killed, but yeah. you are going to jail for life. You have you have ruined the lives of so many people sure. and the futures of their children. And I mean, you take a hundred thousand pension uh, fund and you decimate that. And it's like you're not just affecting the people who had money in that pension fund. You're affecting their families for generations. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a heinous massive crime uh with huge ripple effects in our society and you do not deserve to be part of that society anymore and and i think that that's like 
I don't have a hope for things to get better until we start looking at things differently like that. Like, you know, this kind of corruption right. and malfeasance on the financial side is is just I'd argue more destructive. It's yes. it's kind of like, uh, you know, if, if we went into another country and invaded it and took their uh, Social Security checks and has made off with it, it'd be it'd be a war crime. But I mean, you, can you can't physically as one person do any more damage than this. Like, yeah, how yeah. would you? How would you? Unless if you had a nuclear bomb that you set off in the middle of New York City, it right. might do as much damage as. And the, and the real does. problem is the stuff we've just talked about isn't even a, like that's not the stuff that you get in trouble for. Like the stuff you right. get in trouble for is like, oh, your dad knows that this lawsuit's going to settle so that you sell parts. Or if you're a senator, taking you money know, from other people you're a senator, money. you're a senator and you know that there's a, a potentially lethal disease that's coming out of China and it's going to hit the U.S. shores. And too, so you want to buy a whole bunch of, you know, pharmaceutical stock and, and invest in PPE equipment and stuff like that. That's illegal. But just acquiring a company, chopping up with a oh, chainsaw. Sure. Keeping the retirement account, that stuff is just, that's legal. That's legal. As long as you tell people you're doing it and you're on the up and up and you file the correct, the correct paperwork, that's fine. There's nothing that right. we see is wrong in society because you're just generating uh, value for your share, shareholders. Sure. No, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. And I don't know if movies like this change the, change the situation. Um, I don't know if they help. Like, I don't, certainly I mean, don't I think hurt, I think the answer I, is they don't. We've this movie has been out in the wild for 35 plus years and yeah. things have only gotten worse. Like yeah, we just had a worldwide banking mountain like, meltdown. You had Wolf of Wall Street come out. Things have gotten worse. But uh, it, but it is a game of changing hearts and minds. Right. If enough people like the, the union situation in this movie is the answer, like giving the workers the power, the people who are actually invested in this company doing well because it is their livelihood. That is the answer. But we seem to have also just completely dropped the ball on that, too. So how do you change the hearts and minds if not with movies like this, if not with like inspirational stories of people doing the right thing? Uh, you Well, you got to you got to put I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think the, the one thing that's the worm is starting to turn is like after slowly eroding like union and labor organization rights and powers and responsibilities. Uh, we are in a situation where the baby boomers are starting to retire. There's a real pinch in like available labor and uh, they shut off immigration. So the, the, the only thing that there, there, there's only automation and like paying people fair wages to get them to work for you is the only way forward. And like, look at how much people are screaming about it. Like this whole narrative of no one wants to work. No, no one wants to work for seven fifty an hour when we've seen like 20 mm-hmm. plus percent inflation in the last year. Like people are still want, but like they want to make sure that like, hey, if we sign a deal that you say you're going to pay us X, Y and Z over the next 30 years and you're going to take care of us in our old age that you can't just get out of that to and all the executives get 20 million dollars a piece and get out and our, our, our retirement accounts just went poof. Like we are in a uh, we are in a place where um, there is real power on the labor side for the first time in like two generations. A scrap of power is is what I would call it. And it's seen by the powers that be, as far as I can tell, by the majority of the powers that be as a problem instead of, oh, my God, finally, we have a couple chips that we can negotiate uh, some real change. And you also have like big political because that's the other thing is like you can't you can't have a country that is uh, politically effective when like uh, two thirds of the people don't bother to vote, especially in like local 
sure. you know, elections, like the local and state elections where the like real fucking corruption is, is going unchecked. I, but to but me, like, it, it feels it, like two steps toward greed, one step back. Um, yeah. Like the, the amount of power that we have currently is enough to get small changes, but there have been massive changes Ma- in the last yeah. few decades. A lot and of stuff clawing that back yeah. is not going to get done uh, with the, the scraps of power that the labor market currently has. It's like you need fundamental shifts. You need and you have to organize change. like that label power is very exactly. diverse. Like you have to be able to organize it and, and there have the rules about organizing that labor. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I talked about this in, um, on three right trends too. There's Norwegian countries that like the McDonald's average McDonald's cashier gets paid 25 bucks an hour. Uh-huh. And the hamburgers and burgers, still four and burgers are only like a quarter more than ours. And yeah. you're and that's not a minimum wage. That's not Norway saying McDonald's. You have to pay these people. That's just the rate because McDonald's employees have a fucking union. Mm-hmm. And that's the shit that they've uh, that, that they've they've wrested from from the company. McDonald's is not McDonald's and McDonald's in Norway, the same as it is in America. So why can they pay those people twenty five bucks an hour? We can only, you know, it's, it's it's seen as scandalous. It's seen as a it's seen as a hippie pipe dream to try to get a a, um, a an increase in, of, of uh, the minimum wage to like fifteen bucks an hour right now. And sure. I think that goes back to like the real problem is our educational system for like several generations has been teaching the Gordon Gecko speech in the middle of this mm-hmm. as if that is economics. How many times have you yeah. heard you can't pay people $15 an hour to flip burgers? It's basic economics. They're doing it in other parts in the world. Um, and the other thing is like, I think our government could do a better job taking care of us. Like for example, um, super socialist countries like Norway and the state of Alaska have set up sovereign wealth funds where, um, for people who are too poor, like, you know, like the stuff, if, if everyone is in America was invested in the stock market, we'd all be very happy because the stock market has just boomed in the last couple of decades. But most people too poor to invest in it haven't seen those gains. Yeah. What if, what if there was a government institution that was buying stocks on our behalf and, 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 and distributing the dividends in the form of a check like they do again in the communist hellhole of Alaska? <laughs> I was going to uh, say, yeah. You know, like this and these aren't pi- these. That's the thing. That's the thing that's frustrating is like these aren't like uh, Captain Picard didn't come warp around the sun and slingshot and be like, this is what you got to do in the 24th century. I don't understand why we can't just look around the world and see like, hey, universal health care. There's 25 different ways to do it. Look at these countries. They've been doing it for several generations. Pick one and go for it. You know, uh, social wealth funds like there are several you know countries in Europe and again, the state of Alaska, who's been doing this for generations. Pick one of those ways to organize it and and, and go for it, because then it, there's there, that's ways to like hedge the like because I I. Look, I don't want a bunch of Luddite bullshit. I don't want our standard of living to shrink. I don't want our technology to go backwards. I don't want. Right. But like we should all be sharing in this ever expanding pie. And instead of the the one tenth of the one percent getting more and more like their pie is getting bigger. And who's making the pie bigger? All of us through right. our labor and our innovations and stuff. It's not, it's it, we're there's, all, there's no more value in a CEO uh, choosing the direction of the ship than there is in the people who are managing the masts and the rudders. And yeah. like those people are doing the same job. It's yeah. just one of them is getting rewarded as with, with all of the booty, the rest of the other uh, crew is getting maybe getting some uh, rum, an extra yeah. ration of rum. Uh, so it's, it's, to me, the scary thing is that, like, 
you know, Gordon Gecko says, oh, the 1% owned 50% of the wealth. Today, that's 16 times what it was then when he said that. Uh, unless you think that you are going to take a look at your life, look around at you, at what you're, what you're doing here. Do you think you're in the 1%? Do you think you ever have a chance of being in the 1%? And if the answer is no, which it undoubtedly is for 99% of you, then you have to say, you, you have to be worried that when the 1% no longer need labor from the 99%, that they will abandon the 99%. And the 99% will be left to scrap and it'll be left to scrap over scraps. I mean, that's essentially what it is. Like if there's anything out there um, that they haven't taken already, the 99% will then get that. And again, you know, uh, the other problem is like the system is still working for the vast majority of people. Like, you know, most Americans are not penniless in the streets. Most Americans are not dying from lack of health care. The number are getting to where it's like harder and harder to just dismiss these people as yes. random people that don't want to work and people who didn't plan for the future properly and people who just are lazy and stupid is getting hard. But like, it still works for enough of people and, and, and uh, people have enough to be com- People are comfortable enough that like the system hasn't, you know, directly affected, but it's starting to, even the people who are comfortable are like, why the fuck can I go to my favorite restaurant and get a meal within 90 minutes? Why, why, <laughs> why is traveling across the country by plane a fucking, nightmare of delays and missed flights and planes broken down and shit like that. Like, and there's a lot of more and more people like myself who are uh, getting to a comfortable place, but I'm not participating in this shit. Like, I'm not going to like go and try to fly someplace in this country where it might take me like two days to get there. And I'm going to like, you know, it's it's just like, well, I think those are like, luxuries but i i think the the but that's what will bring the, people to the table why the like like you, you you can write a bunch of pieces on the new york times about people not wanting to work anymore but eventually like if 10 years you still can't like take a cruise uh-huh. or go to your restaurant and you know you go to your applebee's and get waited on people are going to be like what the fuck you know i like, get it I, but i think there are also more insidious and damaging ways that it's affecting people right now that people don't realize it's affecting them with like shortening people's lifespans by hey i can't afford to eat healthy i can't i can't afford things that aren't either subsidized back and forth or is a is more expensive than a four dollar mcdonald's burger and if that goes up to 425 i might die because i can't afford my mcdonald's meal oh that mcdonald's meal by the way is killing you it's 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 taking 20 years off of your life um and And, and and it's directly affecting you it's it's something you don't see every day but you'll see it in the you'll see it when your health fails. And that's where it gives lies to like, uh, you know, the poor people are fat and unhealthy because they're making poor choices. <laughs> like if it was all about What's consumption, you would think that the wealthy people would be the one that are fat and the ones that are eating the most decadent. But like if you like if you control right. for like economic conditions, like wealthy people are way healthier mm-hmm. because they have access to better quality food, um, health care. And that like all those there's just this landmark study that came out that demonstrated like the childhood poverty is such a huge impact on your cognitive functions. Like if you are malnutrition, malnourished from the time you're born till you're like five or six years old, it has huge impacts in 
like your ability to think straight and your ability to grow healthy and strong and to not have like later on issues in your life. So like we might preside over the first generation a long time that has a shorter life expectancy on the whole than the generation that did before, just because of these things that we're doing again, voluntarily to ourselves because we are taught that greed is good. Right. And that heart properly harnessing that to the economy is all you need to do to make it tick. We're not taught the other side, which is like, Actually, greed does not drive innovation and good customer support. It's the opposite. Like there's a there's a healthy but there's a healthy spot in the middle where it does, but then on the fringes it just turns into itself and it turns into you know rent seeking behavior. It turns into corporate raiderism. It turns to like raiding old ladies' uh, pensions, and like I feel like that needs to be made illegal. Uh, I don't know how you do that. Like, that's the thing is like the actual implementation of that. Like yeah. we, we need to stop people from doing that because you're right. As if, um, you know, uh, if, if you're on the if you're on the Titanic and there's not enough lifeboats for everybody, you're not going to form an orderly line and wait for your turn to get in the lifeboat. You're going to push and you're going to shove. And you're going to try to hurt people because all you want to do is to keep living. And we keep on setting people up in those situations and then wondering why, you know, things aren't working appropriately because we, it feels more and more like we're on a sinking ship to more and more people. Yeah. But in this case, like the lifeboats are money and, and, and the lifeboats keep accumulating into one guy's pocket on the boat and he's going to use all of the life rafts to get off the boat and leave everybody else on it. Because you can make more money that way. Like, right. you know, if we burn he wants half more the lifeboats, life they'll in be worth the instead of, you know, a lifeboat ticket being a thousand dollars, it'll be ten thousand dollars. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those people will be really desperate to get them now. It's I don't know. It's like I feel like that there is signs that like, and that the wheels uh, are like coming off and that companies are re- like like Walt Disney um, is having a hard time. Uh, you know, uh, I, I start starting to have a hard time operating stuff with its parks um, starting like once you get so big and you know, like, like once Walt Disney controls like half the entertainment in the country, like people get, get antsy about it because like, there's like, you know, a lot of people bemoan, and this is like small first world problem shit, but like people bemoan the fact that we don't have these like mid budget films anymore. It's all either independent shit that's done for a song or it's $200 million Marvel star Wars shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the reason we don't have any of that is because like Walt Disney's bought all the distribution places and all the studios and they know what makes money. And they're those two things like there is no more room in the middle to take risks or just to make like a small adult quiet stories out of it for passion and things. So like it's like I said, it's it's it's, it's going to be it's going to come at it from both ends like the low the people are on the bottom. Uh, they're going to be more and more of them until their cries get so much that you can't ignore them anymore or they're going to start just breaking shit. Like if, if people no longer believe in society, why not just fuck with the people? Like if if if, if uh, you're a homeless guy and you're living in Beverly Hills, why not leave a big steaming shit on the doorstep of somebody in a condo? You know, what's it to you? You're, st- you know, sure. it's like if the worst thing happens, you'll get arrested, be put in jail where you have a roof over your fucking head. Like people st- are, are going to be able to do that when when the doorstep is like the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific well, Ocean or something. And every every, you know, multi-trillionaire lives in New Zealand or fuck it on Mars. Like that's yeah. the type of shit where it's like, OK, you the Earth is the Titanic and, you know, yeah. or or the mainland is a Titanic and we're just going to go live over here now. 
But that's, I think, the other, like, uh, end is, like, the people that are well-off and are comfortable are going to increasingly not enjoy living in a country that has this disparity of wealth because you will have people shitting on your doorstep and it will be a bummer and you won't be able well, to get people to Well, then you just live in your castle you. and the peasants live outside. But, but yeah. is that satisfying? Like, if Elon Musk got his dream and lived in Mars, do you think he'd be happy? Because where, where's the cool place to go to eat? Where do you find your 25-year-old punk rock girlfriends on Mars? Where do you go to your your fucking Met galleries and stuff on Mars? There's nothing on sure. Mars. You have your Mars castle, is an extreme example, it. but New Zealand is not as extreme. Like, if but you I've just been, but, take over a large landmass like yeah. that and just say, this is ours now, and everybody there's else can go walk off the There's also, the fact, there's, there's the also the fact that at the end of the day, there's 8 billion of them and like 0.01% of 8 billion of them or a billion of yeah, us yeah. and 0.01 bill, bill, uh, you know, percent of a billion of them. And like, you know, they still need us and we'll need for, for the, the, the near future. But that's the other thing is like, ah, yeah, I don't want to get, yeah, I don't want to yeah. get too depressing. Sure. It's already a no, depressing it's, podcast. Yeah. Cause like, I, I yeah, mean, why think, we're distracted by all this, there's other mounting problems that have nothing to do with economics and all to do with like, you know, making sure. our planet hard to live on that uh, are getting pushed to the side in favor of, you know, scrabbling over who gets to eat what slice of the pie. While we're talking about stealing uh, money, I want to talk about stealing something else because there is a scene in this movie. It's the one where Charlie Sheen's being walked out in handcuffs uh, uh-huh. and he's weeping. Uh-huh. And I, at least I think he was weeping. I don't know. I was no, watching definitely. him because well, the cop in this scene is stealing <laughs> the scene with his mustache. <laughs> Did you see this I guy? Said, I had the exact same note. Like this cop, like he's got like f- like a fucking battalion's worth of awards on his chest, uh-huh. and like yeah, like the there big was old something. Cop hat and the mustache. Yeah. Whew. yeah, yeah, that's an '80s fucking New York City. Uh, they have a special Wall Street edition of dudes to have. Yeah, he was an impressive I guy. He's in YPD. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, there there are a lot of good scenes in this movie. I don't, I don't. There are a lot of like over the top kind of preachy, ridiculous scenes in this movie too. And Charlie Sheen doesn't help those. Um, th- there is a, a scene at the end when you know he after he's being let out of handcuffs. I'm like, okay, the next scene is him just talking to Gordon Gecko in a park, and I'm like, he's obviously working with the feds here. Um, and turns out he is. You know, Gordon's all on him. Like, I can't believe you did this. Uh, I, I, when I looked at you, I would see myself. And he says, "Why?" And I said, "I was thinking probably because you're a narcissist." Um, I, I think he's asking like why he did that, but it just struck me as funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's another like man. Eighties speaking of automation was all about robots. Oh, Gecko has like bot. a. Has a Rocky robot in uh-huh. here that's like somehow even worse <laughs> than the Rocky robot. I it don't really know. is. It really is. Um, there's also like there's so much there's so much interesting things about this movie, like the rich people's obsession with art, because that's the uh. other thing is like I've like been looking at like international arts dealing and that's like that's just all a front like that's 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 uh, that's sky this like art. Art trading, as far as I can tell, is the Walter White's car wash. No, no, this is totally like it's part of the movie, right? Like the art mm-hmm. is goes hand in hand with the illusion that he's creating of value. Uh, yes, of of him specifically having value. Yeah, yeah, but like, there's also like once like when you've got 
more and more most of the money held in very few hands like you just start looking for stupid ways to spend on you know like nfts yeah fuck it i want a camel with smoking a cigar wearing a cop hat yeah nfts gold-plated hamburgers and pizzas uh you know uh, half billion dollar yachts uh (laughs) just spending on uh art you know get getting getting uh it's just it's it's insane and most of it is Uh, hideous i i hated like every single bit of the redecoration that Charlie Sheen oh, does to his yeah. condo or whatever. It's, it's essentially the, the condo version of slicking your hair back. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> it's hideous. I thought that too is like, you know, like um, when we see uh, Gordon Gecko in his main office, it's very Ozymandias from the watch watchman. Like it's just very sure. ostentatious and gold and, and, and gross and nothing fits together. Cause there's no real taste or style. Um, Oh, oh, I wanted to talk about uh, Charlie Sheen's performance a little bit more because uh, mm. I, I don't I don't think he's very good in this. He definitely has like a bit of a detached like Patrick Bateman mm-hmm. kind of vibe to him from American Psycho. Uh, I could definitely see him killing some people in a uh, loft. He's a but, bit of a dead-eyed fuck, yeah. Sure. I, I was wondering if that wasn't kind of intentional, though, because like there's a there's a point where Gordon Gecko says, like, give me a kid who's poor, hungry, and smart, and maybe also has no emotions. And mm-hmm. I, I was wondering if like they were trying to lean into that with his performance, because God, he's so flat in this movie. He's very flat. Uh, they did a couple of like Stone does some clever. Um, kind of surface level or, or I guess subtextual things. It's the opposite of surface level because uh, there's this one epic rant that uh, one of the stockbrokers goes on like an early, like, you know, this again is the height of the 80s and they're like, oh, this country used to be something until I haven't seen things this bad on Wall Street since that fucker Roosevelt, you know, Roosevelt who, you know, kicked off one of the greatest uh, eras of social progress in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then I thought it was interesting that like, in in the in, in going into the third act when Gordon Gecko goes to do battle with the airline existing airline executives the airline the the the, the main guy of the board of directors who's trying to oppose him is standing at a podium that that is says Roosevelt on it because it's a Roosevelt building mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. I thought that was that was a nice touch that like he's directly you know trying to draw a line between. Things like anything that these people think is bad is probably good. It's only bad for very wealthy people who are trying to unscrupulously acquire wealth. Yeah. Um, and anything that is is uh, that they think is good, like this buyout and neg- negotiating a 20 percent uh, decrease in your bed, like all, all that stuff is actually uh, turns out bad. Um, I thought that was that was kind of neat. There are a couple of also. Uh, flourishes I guess in the filmmaking here the the cinematography or the lighting specifically um, that they do where like at the beginning of the movie there's some some scene and I can't remember exactly which one it is but it's notable because when Michael oh sorry uh, yeah Michael Douglas is talking to Charlie Sheen He's, he says something to him and it's like kind of a definitive statement pushing him in a direction and and an exciting one, right? Like a new adventure that Charlie Sheen's going to go on here. And they drop all the lighting out of the background and only light Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen in that scene. And then at the end of the movie, they do the exact opposite for Gordon Gecko when he says dump it and, and he's defeated by Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they silhouette him against the against, bright New York sky. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly drop the they just cut the lights illuminating Douglas. So he falls in the shadow. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of neat, um, uh-huh. though. There aren't very many flourishes like that. No. Like I said, the the, the tennis match style dialogue, uh, mm-hmm. adversarial dialogue between. Um, and I think they're doing something with the Sheens where it's like, you know, like he had two fathers fighting for the soul of this boy and they filmed it in exactly the mm-hmm. same way where the camera is in between them and just panning back and forth, you know, like a little bit behind the action. So it's like, oh, my breathless. Like, what are they saying? What are they saying? I thought that stuff was was pretty cool. But you're right. It's yeah. it's more of a much more of a meat and potatoes type of like it didn't get to like like it's hard to believe this is directed by the same guy that did JFK. Yeah. Or snow something that's so, like so fucking kinetic and like heavily edited, and this is so much more basic in comparison. Totally, but it kind of tracks like, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe Oliver Stone was, uh, you know, a little bit more sober, and then like you know, decades of like bashing his head against um, political and economic realities have made his filmmaking more and more lurid and conspiratorial and crazy and things like that. But <laughs> uh huh, yeah. I do also wonder, and I know they did hire like a stockbroker or two, like a real life stockbroker or two to be actors in this movie. But there's Mm -hmm. that scene where they're talking about carving up Blue Star with Mm -hmm. the banks and all this stuff where I don't think anybody in that room, maybe not even Charlie Sheen is actually an actor. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's everybody is like an the, old stockbroker who made yeah. their money in the fifties on wall street or something. Yeah. Yeah. I got that too. The, the two guys are speaking are like broad. They're very bad as a billboard. Yeah. Um, and also the, is it one of the worst fights in cinematic history? where uh, Charlie Sheen and Michael Douglas are out in the middle of Central Park and Douglas is just throwing unopposed haymaker. Like, yeah, these are like bad, like regionally. I would expect to show up for Friday Night Wrestling at like the fucking uh, Hancock County farm building and Uh see better punches thrown because Michael Douglas is like it it is a zip code away from connecting with Charlie (laughs) Sheen and every one of those like there's no no one foleyed any impact so it just feels like Mm, yeah yeah it's 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 a bad it's a really bad it's a really bad fight it is let me ask you this do you think this movie popularized because I know a lot of people idolize Gordon Gecko. Did it popularize the reading of Sun Tzu's work in the business circles or did that just or was that already there in this movie just latched onto it? I that's a good question because I I kind of wondered that myself how much of Wall Street bro culture was codified by movies like this kind of like I've even heard that in that like not all mafioso necessarily dress like they did on the Godfather and with the, the you know, slavish devotion to pinstripes and stuff, but like a particular crew did and it was styled after that. And everyone thought it was so cool. They started modeling after it's kind of like the same yeah. way that like every pilot talks like Chuck, Chuck Yeager because uh, okay. Chuck Yeager sounded cool and everyone wanted to sound like Chuck. So now everybody, even like, you know, pilots coming from like Afghanistan and India are like, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know because Every fucking Wall Street big finance movie I've ever seen look has this aesthetic. And it wouldn't right. surprise because Wall Street's a very geographically small area. Tiny. So like yeah. the, the, that, that, that culture being very um, homogenous would not surprise me. But holy hell that I feel like, oh, my God, this is this was the blueprint 
um, yeah, that everybody kind of got got behind. Or boy, if this is the mirror, that's an ugly reflection because, it's it's more over the top than I remembered it even being the first time I saw it. Just yeah. like uh, the pretension, the the ridiculous, like every time Charlie Sheen got on his balcony and was looking out into the city, who am I? Yeah, who am I? I, it just it, none of this felt real. None of and it. And also the the that's why I say it's so naive because the, the the fiction of this movie that like you know because like like Charlie Sheen's got two bosses that are seen as like good stock traders. You know, like like, but they're running a penny stock operation. They're not good people. This guy's right. saying pulling Charlie Sheen is like you know. Uh, there's no shortcuts to success. It's 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 you gotta you gotta build value value instead of buying and selling other people. You gotta you gotta pay attention to fundamentals. These people, no, these people like like everybody's fucking Warren Buffett on the street. No, I I feel like um, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm way off base, and and but I, I think there's more amoral types than this movie definitely uh, cuts out to be, and, and and also like, and that's just saying. That's just saying the stuff that's like already illegal because the SEC says it. So I think there's a lot more things that should be illegal or heavily restricted uh, than there are currently now. But like even then, it's like the the fact that like you could have a guy who'd say like, oh, you got to build value and lost. And why why they're running a penny stock division is just insane to me. No, like, I, th- I think I, I don't blame Oliver Stone for this. And I, I can't see any conceivable way you should because the message is exactly the opposite in this movie. But so many people I hear come up to still to this day to Michael Douglas, to Charlie Sheen and say, you are the reason I got into being a broker or got into trading like your character to say that to Michael Douglas based on this movie is God, that must be terrible. You're truly warped. I I don't understand. It's like, imagine like if there's, because you always hear like people saying to get Jillian Anderson, like girl, like, like uh, women saying, you know, I got, I became a doctor because of your performance of skull. Like you opened my eyes. Imagine if like women were going to, to her and being like, you know what? I decided to drop out of college. Uh, because of because like the, all that doctor shit looked hot. like it's like weird like an anti bizarro or like the the people who are inspired to get into space because of Star Trek like you know people yeah, coming up or, and being or like Jake Lavar Burton and Nightcrawler I get people coming up to him saying I started killing because of you <laughs> like, yeah like what <laughs> what the f- yeah yeah going to Joaquin Phoenix like you know I was uh, going to get down to my therapist and stay on my medication but I saw the Joker and I'm like fuck it I just went right? I, got, I got a bunch of clown makeup and a gun like yeah it's <laughs> It's insane. And it's like I, there is something about this particular dark heart of capitalism that does that. Like there's a reason that well, people consistently get Fight Club and Wall Street and things like that wrong. And it's uh-huh. because I feel like society, it's one of those things where it's like, this is bad. You should never do it. Wink. You know, well, it's because like, our society is only set up to value one thing, and that is the the spoils of wealth. Um, right, and, and to see that these are the people gaining those spoils yeah. makes it a very seductive thing. I, I and get we do, that. We we do value honor and courage and virtue and things like that, but we not don't in directly, the same portion. We don't directly monetarily reward it. Fuck no. In fact, mostly no, you're punished honor, you can't for having eat honor, those right? Like, yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. even about eating at that point. Or like, you know, you can't buy a yacht with honor. No, if you could, a lot more people would go after it. But no. 
I don't know. It's one of the reasons I like because like I one of the reasons I kind of withdrew from political commentary is like I don't know what to say anymore. Yeah. Like I said and like and and there's just not enough people that feel and that's why it's like what do you do? It's like I don't know. Like I I, I don't know. Like I. Uh, this is a weird country that like we're taught a lot of things wrong and then we get in adults and we're just distracted by celebrity bullshit and sports stuff and television dramas and I'm just guilty as anybody but like real structural institutional change is just going to be hard and we're going to and and it's going to we're going to be opposed by a very powerful moneyed interest every step of the way exactly so it's like I kind of like I'm not like a big believer in like a like a violent revolution but like I do think there's going to have to be like just a the system stopping working like in a big fundamental way that shocks yeah. enough people. They're like, Oh, we can't let this happen again. Like, you know, the, why in mean, the like, direction you know, we're headed, that's the inevitable conclusion. Yeah. yeah. And America's not very proactive about this stuff. Like the reason mm-hmm. we got social security is because seniors were dying in the streets and people were horrified, not being able to do anything for their parents. And like, you know, like, fuck, I guess, I guess a wealthy country, should like not have their senior citizens dying in the streets. I guess that's and like so like and something the, has to break yeah. before you and, and it has a space to shuttle personally. has to explode before people like decide to look and be like, you know what? Or just should you know these these fucking O rings are pretty brittle. Maybe we should be launching them in sub zero weather. Like you, you, we're not we're not proactive. No, because a lot of people don't see the problem affecting them. Right? Um, yeah. If enough people don't aren't personally affected by it, then they're not going to be inspired to, to buck against it. So like, yeah, I I think there's going to have to be something big that happens, Mm. but also, uh, you know, as, as much as like, I don't understand people going up to Michael Douglas and saying, Hey, you inspire me to get on to, uh, to get into what does he say to stuff? them? Does he say like "fuck you" and like uh, I don't know challenges like, him to an ineffective duel in the middle of Central Park? Like what is his? <laughs> sure. What's his? Rest- what is his? I don't know what his response, response is. to that. Like the hell is if, wrong? If it were me, it'd probably just be like, "Okay, cool, thanks." Like, what are you gonna tell those people? Right? Like, go on a tirade every time. Like, do you not fucking understand the point of my character? He's supposed yeah. to be a villain, you idiot. Like. Yeah. If you're devoting your know. life to this, you're wasting it. You're throwing it away. You're doing worse. I, yeah, I don't know. know. I don't uh, know but, what you but do But also either. to go up to Charlie Sheen and say that when like he is the epitome of this just intolerable bro culture. Like, mm. God, there are so many lines in this movie that Charlie Sheen says that I physically recoil when I hear. It's it's not even just a mental thing. I like I wince. Every time I hear it, like every time he hangs up the phone, talk at you, talk at you. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, you got really in the weeds with uh, uh, his his bullshit. I, I just thought he was ineffective in this role. And uh, oh, I, no, I thought, he's bad, but this God, did feel like a three and a half, also. a three and a half star movie. And it's the half stars taken away because Charlie Sheen had no business being in it. Yeah. And was did not understand the assignment. And we're and honestly like. Were it not for Martin there, like putting him on his shoulders and carrying him, like uh-huh. I, I don't know, like what what even people think about this movie because, uh yeah, yeah, I was like I said, I I always thought this would be a big rah rah like you know, uh, unironic greed is good movie, and it's not, and it just I guess that's kind of like made me a little bit. I was watching this and I was sitting and thinking about what I was going to say about the movie, and it's like. 
almost more depressing. Like I, I like I would understand right. the thesis. Like at one point after World War II, and we had uh, you know uh, a, a situation where a hundred million people just died, and we almost lost a war to global fascism. Uh, people are like, you know what? Maybe we should treat our neighbors better and we should build a society that doesn't have this. And we built this thing up. And then 80s Wall, Wall Street movie came. That was the era of, you know, it's a wonderful life and all this other capital. And then we got to the 80s and Wall Street and that like flipped a script. But now I'm almost more depressed because that's not what happened at all. Like no, no, exact in the 80s, opposite. they were saying this is this is bad. This, what's happening now in the last 10 years is terrible. And if we don't watch out, we'll all be just a bunch of beggars walking around with our, you know, moth flying out of a pot. And then like 30 some years later, we're still saying the same thing yeah. um, with even more like melancholy and desperation. It is kind of depressing, especially because, mm-hmm. again, you know, I don't think there's any one country's got everything figured out. But like, I, I don't understand why it's so it's it, why should it this is American exceptionalism um, bites us in the ass that like, you know, if we did things that like we can get away with things, the other countries can't because we're America mm-hmm. really stops us from just doing simple things like, you know what, let's commission a study and look at the top 25 economies of the world and the top 25 places where people say that they are happiest and the top 25 pe- places where people say are living the longest. And I don't think America is in any of the top five, 25 countries where people's literacy is the highest and their mathematical skills are. And like That's and, and just, just like what are the best fucking practices? Yeah. But if you suggest that approach. you're a fucking commie and I don't. It's <laughs> wild. Don't, yeah, there, there's a certain sense of pride and in, in being american um, and that goes that's from that's not from the top down that's from the bottom yeah, up totally. like we americans are fucking proud yeah, but of it's also a tool sometimes it's a tool yeah. that the the top uses uh right. against us a lot of the time too um, right they, they they feed that that ideal um yeah it's wild to me like the education comes back into it because knowing the difference between the world's biggest economy and the world's most efficient economy mm. um is, is a big fucking difference right and we are not in we are not the world's most efficient economy. We are not the world's highest standard of living. Uh, you know, GDP per capita is nowhere near some of these other uh, other companies or countries rather. Yeah. And we're not the if worst. you know the difference between like, yeah, we're huge and yeah, we're actually doing well. Mm-hmm. It's a world of difference. And people just don't understand that because they have no education, especially the metrics that we do win in are kind of like we have the world's most powerful military. Right. Well, I guess we have like what the world's top five most powerful militaries because uh-huh. <laughs> all of our militaries, if they were like isolated, different countries would still be the top five. Like, uh, yeah, like we've got that. And we also have like te- like there's like I, I watch people like, you know, argue. And it's so fascinating to see like people that say that want to say, you know, the status quo people uh, be like, well, you know, America's got the best health care in the world. <laughs> Technically, for certain types of cancers, if you have a fucking million dollars in the bank, you can get shit done that you can get nowhere else in the world. That is technically true. But if you just want to talk about per capita spending on medical care versus what you get out of it and and reflecting the health of the citizenry, we're not even close to being number one. Exactly. And it's like like. I, and I and they boast about it as if that's something they have access to, right? That that's the thing that frustrates me is like the people who are doing the worst also believe that they're somehow doing the best. And right. It it boggles my mind. Like they think that they are Jeff Bezos, 
simply because they live in America. Well, they're afraid that, like they they're I think part of it, you know, coming from a lot of that background myself is it's bad, but holy shit if these people get their, you know, if 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 if, if they inject a, their evil social welfare programs or socialist communist programs, it'll get even worse. Like my right. god, it might be miserable and we don't have healthcare and we're whistling past a graveyard and I pulled the last three teeth rather than getting filled, but my god, if these crazy people get their way, they're going to traffic all of our children, have us worship in the devil, and we'll have nothing. We'll be slaves. We'll have our yeah. tattoos. We'll be injected with their vaccines. We'll be con- mind controlled. We'll be like, yeah. so it's like fighting but the that's, wrong war. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like I, I, and that's the other frustrating thing is like, man, if you could even get everybody on the same page factually, uh, I, I, I don't know right. how the hell. Like, I, I just keep telling people, like, whatever the solution is going to be, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be. It's 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 like this. We are in this for the long haul. And uh, we can't let the fact that there's so many people that are that are fighting against our self-interest. Let us like write those people off. Oh, sure. Because no. that's another have to bad, change their big, minds somehow. That, that's another big problem is the fact that like, you know, like uh, Obamacare is not great, but it's a lot worse than it needs to be because so many states just refuse to participate in the programs that would let their people get right now low cost health care. Like they just like the the money is there, the programs are there. They just refuse to, uh, and they'll take it to the Supreme Court if you if you force them. So like if you're just you just lock uh-huh. up your people and you keep them poor and stupid and unhealthy and you resist like any attempt to help. I don't yeah like and then their people like get more and more dissatisfied and yet they blame. I don't know. It's fuck. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that we can't give up and we gotta, we gotta, we just gotta, we gotta roll up our sleeves and think the, the things are going to be bad for a generation or two. And if we work real hard, it'll get better. Yeah. Wall street, the movie. Those are my thoughts. Do you have any others you want to share? Nope. All right. I think that does it for our thoughts on wall street. We haven't solved any of the world's problems. I haven't even fully documented them, but you know what? Uh, that, that'll be a project of our lifetime. Uh, we have next week the uh, executive producers have spoken and they're going to have us do Jordan Peele's Get Out. We're going to get in with Get Out. Uh, and then what are what's up for vote uh, for the next round of prestige voting for our our executive producers? Uh, if, if you do want to vote, you got one day to do it, I think, before we cut off the votes. But it's Rocky, Taxi Driver, Blowout and Saturday Night Fever. All right, that's the, that's the slate you got. If you want to go to patreon.com slash baldmove to become a patron uh, and and uh, uh, check out at least the executive producer level, you too can have your voice heard on what prestige film we're doing next. Next week, we'll be back with Get Out. Vote for the uh, podcast we do after that. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week for Get Out. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. Talk at ya.